Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? Yeah? You doing good? Yeah? You know, we were, we were singing it as well, and I was just thinking that, <clears throat> that for it to be well, you have to want it to be well. Jesus asked the man, he said, do you, do you want to be well? And it seems like a foolish question to ask a man who's laying by a pool, crippled, hoping that somebody would put him into the water, unless there was something to it. And what Jesus was declaring to him was is that you can be well, but do you want to be well? And, and I believe that a lot of times we'll see things the way we want to see them. And so if we look at the world and we put our faith in a man, we put our faith in a system, we put our faith in a party, we put our faith in anything other than him, when we look out at the world, our, our view of the world is only as strong as our view of them. But if we put our faith in him, we just say, God, you know, you, you were able to use a, an unrighteous ruler to bring your people where you wanted them to be. Surely you can use anybody. God, that's why we have to have our gospel. Like my messages today, I want to talk about Paul saying, my gospel. Because if, if, if I know what He did in my life, then I look at any situation and it's never hopeless. Because I know who I was and I know who I am. It's who I've become. It's not like some self-help, self-help thing that, well, I act differently now because I met the Lord. No, no, I am different because I met the Lord. Like, I literally am a different person. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Like, I am something that I never was. He, he, if anyone is in Christ, he's therefore now a new creation. The oldest past the new has come. And he died. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It wasn't an act. He didn't come and act sinful so that you could act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous. That's the Gospel. And your life is now no longer what it was because you've changed because He's come. And now you can say, this is like Paul. Some of us say, well, Paul was saying my gospel because it was so different than stuff that other people preach. But not all the time, because sometimes he said in 2 Timothy, um, he was, he was uh, taught, writing a letter to Timothy, and he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. There was nothing new and original about what Paul just said there. Many people have prophesied that Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the seed of David, would come and that He would give His life and that He would die and be raised from the dead. In fact, at that time, the other disciples were preaching that stuff because in Corinthians, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas. Then Everything is according to Scriptures. There's nothing original about this. Now, some of the things that Paul preached were different than things that other people preached. And I do believe of the three times that he said my Gospel, sometimes it was to differentiate from what they had heard from past teachers. But this time here, he's not saying that. Because the thing that he wrote, he said, he keeps going, he says, after He appeared, to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I'm the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. In other words, it's not just me that's preaching this thing. 
The other disciples were too. And Paul says, whether it was me or them, it was preached to you. We preached it to you and you believed. So he's not just saying my gospel because it's something that nobody else was preaching at the time. I believe he's saying my gospel because it was something that he actually had taken a hold of and he had grabbed a hold of the thing that had grabbed a hold of him. And so now he could say, look, there's the gospel. That is the truth, right? There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he was the son of God, born of a virgin, sinless, lived a perfect, spotless life, fulfilled every requirement of the law. And then he died in my place. He took my sin. He literally became my sin. It's important we understand that. He became sin who knew no sin. He became it. Why? Because it's all about me becoming something. It's not this like, well, Jesus acted good so th- uh, bad so that I could act good. No, He actually became something so that I could become something. He became sin. And He died the death that I deserve to die, that you deserve to die. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the Gospel. But at some point, it has to go from just being the Gospel to being my story as well. Because there's the gospel of Jesus, but once I receive that, and now I become born again, because he's the firstborn of many brethren. Right? It was, he was never supposed to be the only. It says Jesus Christ, the firstborn of many. In other words, the first of many who would go through the same thing, that they became something they were never meant to be, and then they died. They died and actually became something new and became who they were always meant to be. And that's the gospel. And when that happens to you and that happens to me, it becomes our gospel. It becomes my gospel. And now I have something to give because what I have, I give. I can't give you something that I just know to be true because I've heard it. I have to actually believe it and walk in it so that I can give it to you. Because the proof of what I believe is my life. I can quote things all day long. It's so easy to quote things too. When things are going good, it's like, man, God is awesome and He is Jehovah Jireh because I just got a check the other day that I wasn't expecting. But did I believe that before I got the check? And will I believe that the next time I face a situation that I can't see my way through? That proves that I actually believe it. Not that I can experience something, but that it actually changes the way that I think and it changes who I am and I actually become something because of it then we could say, my gospel. Not, not the gospel of Roy. It's saying there's a gospel out there, and now, but now I am now part of Christ. I'm in Christ, so now it's mine. It's yours. And we're trying to give away something in some cases that we don't even have. And you know what the truth is? The truth still sets people free. And people could actually be set free by the truth that you're speaking. But you could be completely missing out and completely devoid of living in the joy that they get from the truth that you speak because you don't actually believe it yourself. Think about it. How many times, like, I'm getting ahead of myself. I I can't, I, I was crying, weeping during worship this morning just thinking about this. Like, are you afraid I'm going to kick that? I probably would. With my, with my plaid and polka dot shoes, no less. No, but I was in tears as we were singing because I was thinking, like, who would I be without Him? Where would I be without Him? What would I be doing right now if it wasn't for Him? 
And then just to think, like, how could I ever look at any situation and not see it through that same lens and not have the same hope for others that I know of what He's done for me? What He's done for me? How could I ever do that? How could I ever look at the future and see it apart from His grace? How could I ever look at the future and see it apart from His promises when I live in and enjoy them? What a selfish thing to do. To look out at our country or at other people or someone that we know or our relatives or our family and think it's hopeless or think, man, I just don't see a way or, or oh my gosh, things are going to heck in a handbasket and all the stuff that you hear people saying right now. It's like you just sometimes want to grab people and shake them and say, listen, like, yes, that's true except for apart from and without, but we're never, we're never apart from and we're never without. And it's like, yeah, but there's just so many people that believe that. It doesn't matter. That was the point of Gideon. Like That was the whole point of the story. He said, listen, I don't want to do this with a bunch of people because if I do it with a bunch of people, then you will think that it was you that did it and you'll take the glory from me. I want to make this thing so utterly impossible and make it so small that there's no way that you and also no way that anybody that hears this story for the rest of their lives could ever say this was the hand of man. It had to be the hand of God. But when we look at the future, we look at things ahead of us, and we have a woe is me, gloom and doom, we're looking at it apart from His promises. Because He said, yeah, in this world you will face trouble. And people will quote that all the time. Like, well, you know, even the Bible says you're going to face trouble in this world. Keep reading. There's always a better promise. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And where are you? You're in Christ. What does that make you? Someone who's overcome the trouble that's in the world. We've got to keep reading a lot of times. We stop and we, we settle on something. Why? Because it matches our condition. So if what I read matches where I'm at, I stop reading without realizing there's more. And what a travesty that is. And wow, does that rob the Gospel of its power when I don't continue on and, and finish the thought. When I don't continue on where it says, that even though, even as 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 with Adam, where one sin made by where the many made sinful, so it was also with the free gift, where the righteousness of the one, where the obedience of the one brought righteousness to all. Keep reading. Well, you know, brother, we're all this. No, 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 we were all that. But then Jesus came, and now it's possible that we can all become this. Because there's, if, if we deny that, if we deny who we are now that Christ has come and we're born again in Christ, then what we're saying is that the sin of Adam was way more powerful than the obedience of the Christ. Well, that's what we're saying. Well, you know, we're just all sinners. No, you were. Don't you know that this is what you were? But then, you were bought. You were paid for. You were ransomed. Something happened. And it's time to start living that way and actually believing that and looking forward into the future with excitement and saying, like, if God could change my life, who couldn't He change? See, because, and, and you know, like, like we talked about a few weeks ago, like, sometimes we think that it's just people who have went through, like, you know, they went to the lowest of the low points. Like, like I know a bunch of people sitting in this room that have been to some really low points. And, and, and truthfully, when those people preach the Gospel, there's an excitement in their voice. There really is. But it should be there for everybody. Because when Jesus said to the Pharisees, he who's been forgiven much loves much, he wasn't saying, well, they've been forgiven less than you. That's why they love less than you. He was saying, she understands how much she was forgiven of. 
That's why she loves me the way that she does. And if you understood how much you need to be forgiven of, you'd be at my feet doing the same thing that she's doing. It wasn't that they had less to be forgiven of. It was that they understood their need for forgiveness less. She understood. I understood. I saw where I got. Listen, it doesn't matter if you got to the point where I did or Wayman did or Hannah did or, or Judd did or any of these other people. It doesn't matter if you never got to that point in your life. The truth of the matter is, apart from Him, you are absolutely filthy. But you don't have to be because your righteousness is the filthy rags. But you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. And I can preach that Gospel to people without living in the joy of it if I don't believe it for myself and I don't actually allow it to change the way that I think. I can know something but not let it change the way that I think. And it can rob me of the experience that others are having that believe the things that I'm saying to them. And you can actually see people around you set free by the things that you're teaching them and not walk in, live in, and enjoy that freedom yourself. You can. I promise you. So, like, I was just, as I was thinking about, like, the whole my gospel thing of how it has to be something that we actually believe to the point that we claim it i was thinking about like you can know like how many of you guys can finish this verse for me there's therefore now no okay so how many of you guys would say i never struggle with condemnation you guys realize we just said there is no condemnation how many of you guys are in christ Come on, it's okay. Like, I know they tell you, uh, um, people that speak will tell you, they'll be like, you know, never ask a question when you're speaking. Always just, just give points. But, but I genuinely want to know, how many people in here would say they're in Christ? Okay, so let's say that again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus that walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, right? So, how many of you, again, how many of you would say you never struggle with condemnation? You're what? You're tempted to struggle with condemnation, but you don't ever? Nice. Awesome. <laughs> you know? It's like when Jesus said, He is without sin, cast the first stone. Well, <laughs> you ask that question, and your wife on the front row goes, I mean, I, no, not really. <laughs> no, you know what the truth is? Every single one of us should have the same answer. That the enemy would come and try to get me to take the bait and take condemnation and to actually take hold of that. But I know a greater truth than the truth that he speaks. Why? Because you just said a greater truth out of your mouth than any truth that he could ever come and tell you that would make you take hold of condemnation. If we actually believed it, not just knew it. See, we can finish people's sentences. Sometimes I think in this age of information, we do ourselves a disservice sometimes because we take in so much information that we can finish each other's sentences. And sometimes I think we'd be better off not actually going around just regurgitating information until we actually make it part of who we are and what we believe to the point that it changes the way that we live. Like the people in China, you know, they couldn't have Bibles. I think now it's getting better, right? But for a while, they, they couldn't even have Bibles at all. So they would just take, they would, they would get the New Testament and they would just take pages of the New Testament and that would be their Bible, would be that page of the New Testament. And they would know and they would own and they would live out everything that they read on that page because that's all they had. They would get together with other believers. They would tell them what they knew. 
and the other believer would tell them what they knew, and that's how they grew. It was teaching each other the little bit that they had. But you can believe that they believed the part that they knew. They didn't have all this information in front of them. They had a limited amount of information. They said, this is God's Word. God spoke this. I'm going to take this and believe this. And then when they took it and believed it, it actually changed the way that they lived. See, that's the thing that, that's like one of the best barometers of where we're at is what does my life say? Not what does my status say or what does what I project to people say or not what does me finishing other someone's sentence say, but what does my life say is true? And to just be honest with ourselves, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to talk about that in a little bit, but, but think about this, okay? So we could quote, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. And for those who are in Christ, we can tell people that. We could tell people, how about this? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you, give you a hope and future. How many of you guys really believe that God's plan for your life all the time is good? How many of you guys' attitude and what people around you would say would agree with that? Just being honest, would anyone around you say, yeah, you know what? That person there, they believe in everything that there's good. That God's plan is good for every single thing. They never go through, I ne- I, I've never seen them go through a time where they actually questioned whether or not it was going to be good. And when they look at the future, they have nothing but hope. For real? Right now, if every person who claims to be born again God said that, okay, through his prophet Jeremiah. Like, that's, that, that word is not changing. That's not going to change. It, it, is, it is established when he spoke it. He values his word even above his own name, right? It will never change. God said it. I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a future and hope. A hope and future. But honestly, how many of us, when we look towards the future, have nothing but hope? Or how many of us genuinely sit around worrying about the future that our kids are going to inherit right now? We wring our hands and say, I just, I just am so grieved about the direction our country's going in. And I get it. Listen, when you look around, that's not being a, a, that doesn't mean live in denial and say, no, our country is going in a great direction right now. But it is to say, even though our country doesn't appear to be heading in a good direction right now, I have nothing but hope when I think about the future because I can't imagine a future apart from his promises. That's, see, that's saying, I'm not going to deny what I see in front of me, but I am going to deny that that's greater than what He spoke. That's the essence of faith. That's faith in action. Saying, this is true, but this is truer. So, while it may be true that right now our country seems to be heading in a direction that is away from what the will of God would be, there's a greater truth that says that He's working all things for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that my future is full of hope because I trust Him. So even if I don't see how, I refuse to agree with what I see when it conflicts with what He said. That's faith. That's why it takes faith to please Him. Because it's someone looking at Him and saying, God, I choose to believe what you've said above what I see. Are we just saying that? Brings tears to my eyes. Far be it for me to not believe even when my eyes can't see. But being honest, like how many of us could quote these verses all day long yet our lives don't always bear the fruit of it? 
So, how many, how many of you guys have ever sat with somebody who was going through something and you were giving them truth, you were giving them advice that's directly from the Word of God, and they were finishing your sentences? Or they were telling you what you were about to say next? And everything that you were about to say, they already knew. And then at the end of saying it, they say, and you know what, I know all that, but. I mean, we don't do that, but how many of you guys know people that do that? Because we don't, we don't hear. That, that's just for the podcast people, because some of them people probably do it. How many of us have ever said, I know all that, but, and then fill in the blank with our present circumstance or the thing that we experience that seems to contradict it or the thing that we are afraid of in the future that maybe would come against what someone's believing right now. And when we do that, I believe that that is the essence. I just, this morning I was adding some stuff to the message and, and the, the thing that struck out me the strongest was God saying, when we do this, we actually have a form of godliness, but we deny the power of it. Because any promise in the Word that we would say, I know but, is a part of the Gospel that's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. Not because God hasn't given it to us, but because we haven't received it. So have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. I can finish your sentence, but my life doesn't reflect it. I can tell you all the verses that you're about to quote me, but if you followed me around, you wouldn't see them at work in my life. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power of... Because what is the power of the Gospel? It's the power to change. What does it do? It brings death to life. It brings sight to the blind. It makes the lame walk. Like, this is what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has appointed me to preach the Gospel, the good news. And He, he starts quoting all these things. What's He saying? Uh, there's the, there is good news. There's a Gospel and everything it touches, it changes. If it touches death, it brings life. If it touches lame, it brings healing. If it touches blind, it brings sight. If it touches poor, it brings provision. If it touches sick, it brings healing. If it touches hunger, it brings food. Like, everything that it touches, it changes. And when we have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof, we have an appearance of it. We can quote it. We can type it. But it doesn't actually change us. And the power of the Gospel is the power to change. So now we have a form of godliness, but we've denied the actual power of the Gospel, which is the power to change. And we're in worse place, I believe, honestly, sometimes than people that don't know it, because we actually can finish people's sentences and when people are speaking to us, we already have our ears closed off because we know what they're going to say. How many of you guys have ever preached the Gospel to someone who's never heard the things that you're preaching to them? And they're just like, What? Whoa! And it is, it's the Spirit of God opening their ears to bring this, right? It's not something brilliant that you're saying. You didn't come up with some genius way of putting it that they've never heard before. And wow, is that just blowing their mind? You're an amazing speaker. If we put you on TV, everyone would get saved. That's not what we're saying. But I am saying, like, sometimes we can actually harden our hearts 
And it doesn't mean that we're not born again. It doesn't mean that we're not saved. It doesn't mean that we don't love God. And it doesn't mean that we don't trust Him in some areas of our lives. But we can actually trust Him in some areas of our lives and completely not trust Him in other areas of our lives. There can be a part of the Gospel that's ours and a part of the Gospel that we have never received that's no longer, that is not ours. And we would declare for all the world, I believe everything He spoke, but yet our life says, I believe some, but I don't believe every. And it can be in levels and layers, Right? Like, like, think about it. I was thinking about it this morning. Like, like, some people would say, like, I trust you with my eternity, God. I do. I trust you. Because I know and believe the truth that says that those who believe in Him will never perish but have everlasting life. And so, God, I trust you with my eternity. I trust that when I die, I will spend eternity with you because I am saved. I've made you the Lord of my life. And I, and I, and I believe that, that everyone who trusts in you, though they perish, they, they will not perish. They'll have everlasting life. I believe that. But I'm pretty anxious when I look at, and think about the future. Like the immediate 20 years coming, the world my kids will enter into, what the country will look like that they're going to inherit. I'm full of worry. I'm full of fear. I'm full of anxiety. God, I trust You here with eternity. I've, I've bet my life on it. I've staked my life on the tr- on, uh, that Your Word is true, that You really did die for my sins, and that because I've put my, my faith in You, I've believed in my heart, I've confessed with my mouth that You're Lord, I really do trust You that I will spend eternity with You. I won't perish. I'll have everlasting life. I trust You to that extent. But when I think about 20 years down the road, when I think about my kids, when I think about my grandchildren, when I think about 10 years down the road, I'm full of fear, I'm full of worry, I'm full of anxiety. Because we believe a part of the Gospel but there's a part of the gospel that's not ours yet. Or, or, or maybe we've, we've moved maybe even a step beyond that, right? And so, so I, I trust Him with my future because I believe that He will work everything for the good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. So I do believe that eventually this will be good. Like someday, I trust Him with my eternity and I, and I trust Him with my future far off out there because I know that He does work all things for good and even though I can't see how, I'm just going to stand in faith and I do believe that someday I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I trust You with my, my eternity and I trust You with my immediate future. But God, I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about next week. When I think about the next week, the next month, the next year ahead of me, I'm full of uncertainty. I'm full of doubt. I'm full of faith. I'm full of fear. I do believe that because I believe in You, I won't perish. I'll have everlasting life. I do believe that You will work all things for my good because I love You and I'm called according to Your purpose. So I believe that stuff. So when I think down the road, I think, I don't know, yeah, someday it'll all work out and everything will be okay. And I believe that. But I don't know about tomorrow. Tomorrow scares me. I, I, I do believe. I could see how, you know, years down the road, things will work out. One day we'll look back on this and laugh together, God. You know, and all those things. I trust You. But I'm so full of anxiety and I'm so full of fear and I'm so full of worry about tomorrow. Because there's some things going on that I just don't know about. 
So what are we saying? We're saying like there's part of the gospel that I believe that I could say is mine. And I could give that to somebody. I could freely give that because it's mine. What I have, I give. Jesus said that. What I have, I give. Freely you've received, freely you've given. That means everything that you've received is yours to give to people. And so I could give you the, the hope of, of eternity with Him. And I could give you the truth that one day He will work everything out even though you can't see how. And I could give you that and you could walk away thinking, man, for the rest of, of my eternity I'm going to spend with Him. And, 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 and even when I think way down the road, but, but if I'm worried about tomorrow, I can't be so sure when I promise you that. And then, then we may even go so far as to say, well, I, I, I trust Him with tomorrow. Because... Because I know and I believe the truth that He spoke that said, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will have enough of its trouble. It'll have its own troubles. And there's enough trouble in today, every single day. And I believe His promises where He said, He'll never leave me or forsake me. So I, I, I do trust Him with tomorrow. I know that tomorrow I don't have to worry about. I can actually trust Him with that and I'm not even going to think about tomorrow. I can't be anxious when I think about tomorrow because I've trusted Him with that. I've cast that upon Him and I know that He commanded me not to worry about tomorrow. So in faith, and I just believe that. And I could say that like I own that. That's mine. I own that. I actually believe it to the point that it changes the way that I live. That's how I know that I believe something because it's actually changed the way that I live. To just quote something means nothing unless it's actually changing me. And so I could say, like, you know what? It's changed the way that I think about the, my eternity. I no longer have anxiety. I don't fear death in the least. Like, that's an amazing thing. And I'm not downplaying any of these things. What an amazing thing to be able to say, I do not fear death in the least because to be absent from this body means I'm present with Him and I can't wait for the day I stand before Him face to face and look Him in the eyes and see those eyes of love burning as they stare at me. And He says, welcome, the beloved of my Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and receive the reward which was prepared. That day is going to be amazing and I'm not afraid to die. And you know what the truth is? is I know that... that that in the future, as I look towards the future, I'm full of hope because He said that He wanted to give me a future and a hope. And so I just know that even though I can't see how, I completely trust that no matter what, He's going to work things out because He is with me. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And He's promised that my future is full of Him. And so I can't even look at the future apart from the promises of God. And so I trust Him with that. And you know what? I even trust Him with tomorrow. Like, these are amazing things. Like, to be able to say that, like, I genuinely don't worry about tomorrow. How many people could say, honestly, they genuinely don't worry about tomorrow? Here's the problem. In a church of people that know the Word, every hand should go up because the Gospel is supposed to change the way that we live, not just the things that we say. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. This isn't a scolding. This is saying, listen, we owe it to the world to actually believe what we preach so that it's changing our lives if we're going to tell them that it's going to change theirs. We owe it to the, to the world, to the world, to, to walk in and actually believe and live as though what he said is true. And the same Jesus that said, don't have hatred in your heart towards your brother you committed murder, said don't worry about tomorrow. We take one as like this sweet idea that would be really cool but is unattainable, and the other as a command, but He said both of them the same way. He said, I tell you don't look at your brother. I tell you don't worry about tomorrow. Why would we take one as a nice suggestion that it's a great idea but never actually attainable, and the other as something we're supposed to actually follow? 
And here's the thing, both of those carry the ability to actually live them out because He's never called us to something that He hasn't equipped us and given us the ability to live in. So if He asks me to never have hatred in my heart towards my brother, it means that He is capable of changing my heart to where I could look at any person in this earth no matter what they've done to me and see nothing but love for them and not hate them. It also means I could look at any day ahead of me without worry or anxiety. Because if He called me to one and He equipped me for one and He called me to the other, He has certainly equipped me for the other. And so then, I trust You tomorrow. And I have no problem today trusting You with Monday. But when I wake up tomorrow, God, I have a hard time trusting you today. See, because we could trust him with our eternity, we could trust him with our future, we could trust him with tomorrow and live today full of anxiety and worry about the day that we're in. Because we haven't believed the promise. I'm with you always, even to the end. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. My grace is sufficient for you. And so we, we would say like, yeah, all those, I believe every bit of that. And, and I trust Him with Monday. On Sunday. But when I wake up on Monday, I trust Him with Tuesday. But I'm a little concerned about Monday. Why? Because it's not our Gospel. It's the Gospel. But it's not mine because I haven't received it. I haven't taken hold of it. I don't believe it to the point that it actually changes my life and changes what I believe in the way that I live. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, my gospel. He's saying, listen, I've grabbed a hold of the thing that's grabbed a hold of me. I have grabbed a hold of this thing that grabbed a hold of me and I'm claiming it as my own. I read those promises and I don't read them as God's promises for His people. I read them as God's promises for me. I don't believe them just for other people. I actually believe them for me. I don't believe that God wants some people to be that way. I believe He wants me to be that way. See, when you start reading the Word that way and you start seeing it as not some distant promise that God made to some people way off in the future, but that He's actually speaking to you. He's actually saying, I believe, when you hear Him speak, you say, God, I believe that You said that not for Judd, not for Ralph, I believe you said that for me. And if you said that to me, then that has to change the way that I look at things. That has to change the way that I live. It has to actually change the way that I respond because there's a new truth that came that I know now that I didn't believe before. How could I respond to things the way I used to when a new truth has come that changes what I believe? I'll say it again. How could I respond to you the way that I did before I knew the truth that I know now and say that I believe it? How could I watch a replay of a game that I already know the score and be as anxious as I was the first time I watched it? Think about it. I already know the end. I couldn't, if I wanted to, be as excited about it the first time as I was the first time when I'm watching it the second time because I already know how it ends. Here's the truth. There's a promise in here that speaks to every single thing that you will face and tells you the score. And you win every single time. 
but you have to actually go after it and discover it and believe it and take hold of it and then live as though it's true. And some of us say, well, well that's, you know, that's just, you've got to be a realist. What's the most real thing ever? Well, you know, brother, you've got to come back to reality. What if I've found reality? What if it has nothing to do with the things that I see and everything to do with the things that He said? Because this is, listen, this is the Bible. This is not like some weird theology, you know, like, like that's, that's pie in the sky made up by some people. Paul says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, for what is seen is temporal, temporal, temporary. Instead, we fix our eyes on what is unseen, for what is unseen is eternal. What's he saying? This is all subject to change. That's not. So if I'm going to put my eyes on something, it's going to be on the thing that's never going to change, not the thing that will promise, I promise you change. Why? Because how many times have you been on the other side of something that you were worried about, and now that you know the solution, you look back and you cannot be worried the way that you were before? Do you realize you could have walked through it the same way that you are after it? You could have went through the thing with the same confidence and the same peace and the same joy if you believed the promise on this side as you have when you're on the other side and you've seen the promise fulfilled. And we rob ourselves of the power of the Gospel when we don't actually live as though it's true before we see it the same way we do after we see it. Because after we see it, we look back and we go, man, I can't believe I was worried about that. I promise you before we go through it, God's looking at us going, man, I can't believe they're worried about that. Because He spoke a promise to every single thing that we face. Just, just think about it. Like, how many times has that mountain that you were so terrified of, once you got to the other side of it, you look back and you realize, gosh, that was not that big a deal. At the time, it just seems huge. It's in front of you, right? And you're looking at it and all you can see is the mountain and you're going, I, I, just, I just don't know how I'll ever get through this. This is the biggest mountain anyone's ever... This is Everest. And all those sweet, sincere Christians that surround me that are trying to speak the Word of God to me, I already know the Word of God, but they're not looking at what I am. And we can get indignant if we're not careful. And we can think that people are talking down to us or preaching at us when all they're doing is sharing truth with us. And if we would actually humble ourselves and listen to the truth more than we would fix our eyes on the mountain, maybe something could change. But we've become so full of knowledge that puffs up rather than love which is humble, that we can't even hear the truth like we talked about last week when wisdom is screaming in the streets. And we're over there praying these, these prayers going, oh God, give me wisdom. God, You promised in Your Word that You would give wisdom to anyone that lasts. You would give it liberally. And, 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 and I know You haven't in the past, but, but God, I just really want wisdom. I need wisdom. And the whole time we're praying these things, we don't even believe that He's going to give it. And the Bible says, let that man expect to receive nothing because our eye is so fixed on the mountain that we can't even believe that He would give us an answer that takes us over it. And anyone that tries to tell you anything just has never faced my mountain before. Be real careful when the only people you can receive from are people that went through things. Because if that's the case, Jesus doesn't have a whole lot to say to your life if you're married, if you have children, if you're sick. Well, you just don't understand because you've never been through it. Try that one on Jesus.
We can even become a little bit prideful in the things that we struggle with. And they can start to identify us more than the Gospel. And suddenly it becomes our pet. And now this is the reason that I'm not okay. And we hold that little baby and we nurse that little baby and we feed that little baby. And any truth that would come that we try to take that little baby away from our arms, we protect and shield ourselves from. Because the truth of the matter is, I'm not sure that a lot of times we really want to be 100% well. Because once the baby's gone, we stand there in front of everybody naked without excuse. But that baby's a little bit of protection that keeps you away from me and covers me up just a little bit. That thing that was done to me, the thing that wasn't done for me, the thing that happened to me, the thing that didn't happen to me, whatever it is, if we're not careful, that'll start to be our little pet. We'll feed it. And it'll bring us comfort. Because anytime something goes wrong, we turn to that little pet. Well, yeah, but they didn't. Add, they knew what happened, and pretty soon, but they don't understand because they're not. You think I'm kidding? Those things have come out of our mouths, and yet we're claiming to be born again and saying, "Let go, of my soul, and trust in Him." You know, the waves and winds still know His name. I know. It's my fallback plan, I told y'all. I'll lose 30 pounds, wear skinnier jeans, and get a cool haircut, and I'll be a worship leader. If this pastoring thing doesn't work out. It just makes me smile seeing you here, Wayman. I'm going to be honest. It does. I know you don't want me to call you out, but I'm doing it anyways. I, I, I love you. I do. Thanks, Wayman. <laughs> Now I really love you. <laughs> he affirmed me in front of everybody. No, but seriously, these things will come out of our mouths if we're not careful. And we'll close ourselves off and act like the only one who could ever speak to our situation is someone who's dealt with the very same thing. Be careful. Because how are you going to pray to Jesus when you're dealing with a spousal issue if you believe that? How are you going to pray to Jesus about a child issue if you believe that? How are you going to listen to the words of Paul on marriage issues? Well, you know, people say Paul was probably... There's nothing in the Word that says that Paul was married. Nothing. And when he wrote the stuff, he was definitely single. And I think it's funny that God used a man who didn't have a wife to write the most about marriage in the Bible. Maybe He's trying to leave us without an excuse. Maybe He's trying to destroy that thing that says I'll only receive from somebody who's gone through or is going through the exact same thing that I am. Because we have to humble ourselves and listen to a man who's not married tell us how to love our wives. So here's, here's I think, something valuable to do. It's something I've been doing in my life for a while now. And it's, it's not always super easy. But I've kind of just been taking an inventory of my life. Relationships. Friendships. Work. Church future, the present, eternity, provision, 
joy. And just taking an inventory of my life and saying, do I see areas of my life, whether it's relationships, provision, trust, the future, my present, conflict, are there areas of my life where I would say one thing, but my life would declare another? Not, not what I would say if someone asked me when I was trying to sound Christian. Not the Bible verse that I know speaks to that situation, but in my heart, what do I really believe when I look at those things? And then asking myself, what I believe in my heart, where did that come from? Is it from His Word? Is it from the character and nature of God? Or was it taught to me by anything else? Because if it was taught to me by anything else, and it's contrary to what His Word says. Listen, experiences and circumstances can be great teachers as long as they line up with the Word of God. But if it contradicts the Word of God, am I holding on to a belief? And do I really believe something in my heart that contradicts something that He spoke? And if so, what am I going to do about that? Just being honest. Like, when I think about relationships that I have, do I look at people and do I value relationships the way that I know the Word of God tells me to? Or have people become disposable to me because they're not worth my time? Because there's better soil? Just being honest. Not that there's never a time. Listen, I always want to say this when we talk about this stuff because there is a time where the Bible says if, this is, if you've done this, 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 and this, then, then absolutely turn from them and leave them. Why? He's saying because you might be enabling them because they may be living off of what you believe. And if you would actually turn your back from them and let them feel the effects of their decisions, they would actually come to the end of themselves and want what you have rather than living off of what you have. Maybe they'll want what you have for themselves because you've taken away their ability to live off of what you have. And if God tells you to do that, absolutely. But if He hasn't, then yeah, they're worth your time. When I think about like my provision... When I think about my provision, am I only in a good place when I can see a way naturally that I'll be able to provide for the things that I want to provide and need to provide for my family? Or could I honestly say that even when I can't see the way, I totally trust Him? And, and just, just being honest like that with ourselves is so important. Take an inventory. Where does my life contradict with what I would say that I believe? Because anywhere that I know something, but it doesn't change the way that I live, means it's part of the Gospel that is not mine, even though it's part of the Gospel, because I have not received it yet. And so I can, and, 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 and the danger of believing part of the Gospel is that we can settle into, I believe the Gospel because I believe a part of the Gospel, but there's a part of the Gospel that I really don't submit my life to, that I really don't believe, that I really don't allow to change the way that I think, believe, and act. And, and I don't believe that God is ever okay with just having part of us. He wants all of us. He wants everything that we live in every area of our lives. He wants our lives to be influenced and under the control of the Gospel. So that any part of my life I can look at and say, that's mine. That's the Gospel and it's my Gospel. Because His story is now becoming my story. Because I'm not who I was. This is who I am. 
I've become something. When you believe something, it's more than just something that you know. You actually start becoming it. And that's when you can say, it's my gospel. It's mine. I've laid a hold of and I've grabbed onto that thing that's grabbed a hold of me. Not that I'm perfect, but that every day I'm making sure there's more of my life that I'm submitting to and that I'm letting to be, come under control of the Gospel. And if there's any area of my life that's in rebellion, I bring it into submission to the Gospel. And I choose to trust that He is faithful and that He will actually honor what He spoke over my life in every single area. Not just the ones that I've experienced in the past or that someone around me believes for. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that, that You're calling us to just this place of of saying like this is this is all available. God, I pray that none of us would be like the eldest son that live our lives trying to please you without ever understanding how pleased you are with us. That live our lives oblivious to all that was available to us all this time. God, I pray that none of us would ever come to the end of our lives and like the oldest son look at the father and say, "I did all this and you never and you never and you look at us and say everything I have was always yours." that you could never receive it. You were so busy trying to earn it. God, I pray that we would never live that way. God, that if there's any area of our lives right now that you're speaking to us, where we know already, as I'm preaching this morning, where we know that what your Word says and what my mouth says don't line up with what my heart says is true. God, that you would convict us. That you would bring, bring repentance and change our minds. God, that we would allow ourselves to line up with and be under the influence of the Gospel, of the Gospel, so that we could say about every part of the Gospel, everything that Jesus died for us to have, we could say, that's mine. It belongs to me. We love You, God. We bless You, Lord. God, right now, we, just, we, we hand our country the control that we felt like we have of our country, God. The debating and the arguing that proves that we really believe that we have way more to do with our country's future than You, God. We repent of that and we just hand it over to You. God, not that we don't vote, not that we don't have opinions, not that we don't stay informed, and not that we're not part of the process, God, but that we don't believe that everything depends on us. God, that we actually believe that it depends on You. And so we pray and we trust and then we act as Your Spirit leads us and guides us. And I just thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen.